Q&A session. So one thing that came up a lot, which I've sort of been compiling questions on, is there's a lot of sort of misunderstanding around chemicals and, you know, what happens, why are they a problem? We all have this innate understanding that you're not going to go drink something toxic or bathe in it. You kind of understand the problem. But what's actually going on? Why Why do some things hurt us? Uh, what are the genetics of why these things cause certain people issues and some people no issues? You know, myself included, when I used to work in a building downtown, me and my business partner had an office above a manufacturing facility. And he used to drive me home with intense dehabilitating migraines. Like I couldn't function. He'd find me in the washroom, literally like dead on the floor. And then he'd drive me home. But he had no problem. And so I just treated it as I have a migraine problem. That's who I am. I get migraines. Nobody will tell you why or what to do about it. And it wasn't until I noticed that there were certain smells, certain things that would trigger it, that I started to ask the right questions. And I understood that it was the chemical pollutant from the manufacturing company below us that would trigger a response in me. But then what I, the thing that was odd that made me question it all was, why me? Why not? My, my partner was driving me home, fully functioning, no issue, while I literally could do nothing but sleep to just escape the pain. And I realized we're different. We are not wired the same. I'm not capable of processing the chemicals the way he is. And I later learned genetically that to be absolutely true. There's a very specific gene called GSTT1, where if your genes are your human instruction manual, imagine if there's a page missing. Like literally this gene, it's possible to have what's called a copy number variation where you don't even have it. Forget about what version or what SNP or what variation or mutation you hear these words being thrown around you might not even have the gene. You don't, you don't do this cellular process. And that was my case. And so it wasn't that, you know, I had a hard time. I literally didn't clear this stuff. So it would, the inflammation that was caused, the root of everything we need to talk about today, that word inflammation, would get me really sick. And so we look at this and, you know, fast forward now a few years where I've learned uh, all of this about myself, where I used to have eczema, psoriasis, migraines, depression, uh, my psoriasis was so bad when I would like clasp my hands, my knuckles would bleed. You know, my eczema was so bad that I couldn't open my left eye for days at a time. Uh, I had acid reflux, digestive issues. So these were all treated as separate siloed problems, but I've learned what they truly are. And I've been able to sort of deal with them at the root cause level. I haven't been sick in five years, except for two weeks ago. So I literally resolved all this stuff, figured out what was going on at the genetic level, upregulated certain processes that weren't doing well. And I've been healthy. I, I, even the common cold, I would feel a tingle in my throat and then I would supplement the right way, do the right things, and it, it just wouldn't happen. Fast forward to 2022, and a couple weeks ago, I was so sick. I literally, I've never experienced anything like this. Uh, it was a viral infection. What virus? I actually don't know. I can guess what it was, but it hit me like I literally was hit by a bus, head to toe, pain, um, no energy, completely exhausted. And I learned it was a really stark reminder of how close we are of walking on this razor blade edge between health and illness. 
we are wired for perfection. We are efficient beings that are designed to be resilient, but we are so close to being unhealthy, even in optimal health. So I understood that because this trigger took me so far to the other side and I couldn't stop it this time. There was no supplement I could take. There was nothing that made me feel better. It just was coming and it happened. Head to toe body pain. There was a couple injuries that I have from training that just flared up. It hurt so bad I couldn't sleep. Worst part of it all was that we were moving offices on those days that I was peaking and I had to be there to instruct, you know, the moving companies and what was going on. And there was one point where I was literally just lying on the concrete floor, wondering how I was alive. I was just lying there. It was so intense. Uh, I went and slept in my car, but I couldn't because my back was hurting so much from the inflammation. And again, it comes back to that word, inflammation. That was the key that I was perfectly healthy but and I had these injuries that never bothered me. The inflammation that was caused, that cytokine storm that we're going to talk about why genetically I was more susceptible to, led me into this place where I went from being the healthiest of my life to dysfunctional to the point where I didn't know how I was going to get through it. So that's how sensitive we are. You just need the right trigger. And this is why things like chemicals and your environmental exposures are so important because you don't realize the triggers that are causing this level of damage but may just take longer, right? The, the catalyst is in there. Uh, but the same degree of damage could be the outcome. So if I look at myself, the methylation system, which is kind of your anti-inflammatory system, I wasn't doing so well. So that led to the severity of the call that cytokine storm or that autoimmune response the body pain the depth to which i got sick is once i crossed that threshold where i wasn't able to fight this virus and i actually got it it hit me hard and i got deep into this rabbit hole of all these various problems that came out of it for days and days that was my poor methylation my poor ability to fight back the inflammation that was being caused so not fight the virus that's something else fight the inflammation as a result of the virus, which led to all this pain everywhere. Luckily, it didn't hit me respiratory, so I didn't have a sort of, you know, the worst sort of breathing, choking, phlegm type issues, uh, but body-wise, it was horrible. But the interesting thing is, my family all got it at the same time, and I recovered quicker. So although it hit me harder and I went deeper into this rabbit hole, I came out of it faster than everybody else because my antioxidation pathways, my ability to deal with the actual virus. So remember, one is the virus and one is the outcome of the virus, the inflammation caused. So the virus itself, I was able to fight. My antioxidation pathways, my ability to fight at the mitochondrial level and the cells to be resilient and healthy, I was doing well genetically. SOD2 is the gene that determines how well sort of your mitochondria can fight back, clear free radicals, uh, and, and stay healthy. And I do quite well there. So although I got deep, I got hit hard, I was like being hit by a bus, I came, I came back quickly, quicker than anyone else in the household. In fact, where it took them two weeks, it took me one. This is driven genetically. Again, different processes allow you to experience things in different ways. Not saying that I wish this on anyone else, but this is what happened. So what's going on in methylation? What is misunderstood? You hear about the MTHFR gene. You hear so many people talking about MTHFR when you're talking about methylation, when you're talking to parents of autistic children, 
when you're talking to women that have hormonal issues and you're looking at the out the onset of inflammatory response from various estrogen toxicity issues mthfr is a gene that everyone talks about we have to understand that there's a cascade there's a whole process from beginning to end and mthfr is that sort of starring character that central role the lead but there's six genes seven genes that make up this process and if you don't understand beginning to end what's going on you're only looking at the star and can you watch a movie and truly understand what happened if you only watch the star you kind of get nuances and pieces and you kind of understand what's going on but once all the supporting characters start speaking that's when you really understand the full breadth of the story same thing with methylation and where we get it wrong we look at this one gene because it's the most spoken of it's much easier for a clinician to look at a result versus interpret a cascade or pathway and so you often find this you know uh, simplified understanding of what methylation is you need to know the whole cascade there's FUT2, SHMTF1, SHTM1, sorry, there's uh, MTR, MTRR, uh, there's a couple different areas on the MTFHFR gene that you're looking at, a couple different RS numbers or SNPs, not just one. Once you understand that whole cascade, then you can see the movie as it is with every line that was meant to be spoken, and it makes sense at the sort of executional, actionable, certain level versus the probability. So that's one thing that's misunderstood. The other thing that's misunderstood about methylation is that meth the methylation process doesn't end within the methylation bucket. You also need COMPT. We, so we've spoken about COMPT in terms of neurochemicals and enzymes and the clearance of you know the chemicals you just used like dopamine and adrotubi and noradrenaline. It also clears hormones and it also supports methylation. So methylation is kind of like you know that the methyl groups are offered to bind to, to then make this thing easier to clear make it water soluble but something actually has to actually clear it and that that broom has to come along and sweep it away and that's comped so what's also misunderstood is when you look at methylation as a siloed independent process and not understand that there's other tail ends to this right there's book ends to it and the most important being the tail end that last step of uh, you know, the comp enzyme clearance, well, you could be methylating great, but if you're not clearing the substrate, it's still there. It's still causing the inflammation. If you're very slow with your comp and you're not getting rid of this compound you just created, sending the methyl molecule over to bind onto this toxin to reduce inflammation, to get rid of it, to make it water soluble, well, then you're just not you're not completing the process. It's like I've taken the garbage to the door, but I didn't throw it in the bin. Someone has to throw it in the bin. That's comped. And this is where methylation is truly misunderstood. If you're comped as fast, you could have a somewhat poor methylation process and you're still getting rid of the trash really well. And so you don't feel the poor outcome. So this is where the functional approach and understanding the pathway is really important. So same thing is true uh, when it comes to you know, cellular health in general, you can't just look at methylation, you can't just look to comp, you also have to look at glutathione. And glutathione being that process for where you <coughs> bind onto toxins, send them to the liver to metabolize, and then get rid of them. And if you're suboptimal there, then even though, like myself, I do a good job of antioxidation, clearance of free radicals, well, what I've done is I've sent them into the blood. I still need to bind and get rid of them. So 
because I have the poor GSTT1, hey, my cells get healthy, my cells clear the stuff out, but it's kind of like you have this fireplace that's throwing soot up and you got a great chimney sucking it all out, but on the top of the chimney, there's this bag that's meant to be transported with all the soot and it's just piling up and piling up. But what's going to happen? Eventually, it's going to come right back down. So you get to that point where you cross the threshold. So you have to understand for cellular health, inflammatory health, that there's three buckets. In fact, there's four. There's also glucuronidation, which we don't speak of much, but that's a whole other thing you need to understand. But there's, you know, the, the innate detox of so glutathione and binding onto toxins, clearing them. So you need to understand that well. How well do I actually go into my bloodstream and get rid of stuff? Then there's methylation. Well, now that I know that I'm causing myself some um, inflammation because of these toxins, how well do I fight that? That's methylation. Then there's antioxidation where, well, I'm also creating some internal oxidants that are leading to this inflammatory state. How well do I get rid of that? Get rid of that? And then that brings you back to glutathione. Now, how well do I get rid of the oxidants that I've just put into the blood? And at the end of the day, glucuronidation is that supporting character for glutathionization. So once you start to see this puzzle as this the brilliance of the human body and the way it operates, you can be very precise about your relationship with the environment, with your relationship with chemicals, with viral infections, um, with oxidative stress and all these things that cause innate cellular health problems, which lead to inflammation being the root cause of disease. So whether you're a medical MD, a naturopath, an osteopathic chiropractor, everybody believes that disease is rooted in inflammation. We know that. What we don't understand or agree on is where does inflammation come from? This All of what we spoke of, are the various components that are the roots of inflammation. Cellular health. How do I keep the cell healthy and not inflamed? So then we start to ask the question. We, we've understood a little bit about the pathways and systems. We understood why I experienced my viral infection a couple of weeks ago the way I did. Uh, deep, intense impact, quick recovery. What do we need to be worried about? What are those stressors and insults that would cause us a problem well we need to understand that things enter our bodies from three places you eat things and you you know and you breathe so you through your mouth there's two steps there are two processes things entering your lungs which should be filtered but some things don't get filtered and they enter your bloodstream so that's one things enter your mouth into your gut you eat things so the things that enter your gut get into your bloodstream and that's another sort of um, barrier for some people who don't have a good version where those toxins are entering the blood there's also your skin the largest largest organ on your body through which things enter your system so if you now understand here's the gatekeepers my lungs my gut and my skin you start to understand what are those toxic insults that would lead to cellular inflammation all these processes of glutathione methylation that we talked about what are the things that we're fighting you're not just walking around inflamed something has to cause it so what are those things well the things that can enter my lungs the things that can enter my gut and the things that can enter my skin so for all those women that aren't too concerned about what version of cosmetics they use. Most women do use cosmetics. It's one of the biggest industries in the world for that reason. But do you ask what you're putting on your skin? More than ever before, we have options now that are clean and pure and will not cause these problems. Uh, it's obviously never as clean and as not doing it in the first place. But if you have a clean, sort of organic, uh, non-toxic bearing 
cream that you're putting onto your skin or some cosmetic product, you're much better off than just one size fits all, you know, sort of lowest common denominator, full of toxins and chemicals product. So it's very important to understand what you're putting on your skin. Read the label. Would you eat it? Do you want this in your body? Whatever it says there, is this something that you would ingest? Because by putting on your skin, you're ingesting it. You may not have that visceral response of your gut, you know, feeling offended and then causing you to vomit because guess what? Our skin and our, the, the process through which we bring things in through the skin, we don't have that reality check and that gut check of, oh, this is not supposed to enter my system. And so the things enter where, you know, the risk is even higher. Uh, and this is why there's so much more illness because we're exposed to so many more things. We use so many more things that were never meant to enter our system. You know, I posted a couple of weeks ago to share with our community that Health Canada is recalling all these sanitizers that were used during the peak of the pandemic because they're proven to cause cancer. This was literally done during the peak. We were in a rush to constantly get our kids, you know, desanitized and and, and ourselves. There's all everybody had a kit in their car. Every time they walked in anywhere, they broke down their natural immunity, their natural ability to fight whatever they were bringing home on their skin and instead use a chemical to replace their natural systems. And that has now led to a huge wave of cancer. This is published by Health Canada. This is this was in the Toronto Star, Canada's largest newspaper, pub posted an article saying Health Canada is saying, sorry, we have to recall all these sanitizers that everybody used because they've caused cancer. Because guess what? These chemicals that kill the viral infection that you think is on your hands are going to enter your bloodstream by putting them on your skin. And I understand that there's a certain level of, while it's for sale, it must be safe. I just walked into a drugstore. I just walked into a big box store and I can buy this there. So why would I have to wonder if it's safe? Well, keep in mind that Again, take this as an example that Health Canada had to wait for people to get sick to tell you that this thing isn't safe. We know if you break down the components, what's safe and what's not, but the product as a whole is not tested for that. Meaning that if you combine ABC, it's much more different than having ABC as separate, you know, considerations. The dosing of combining them together, of putting on your skin daily, multiple times a day for some people, that's where you have to consider, is this something that I would ingest at the same volume that I put it on my skin? If not, why am I putting it on my skin? Just because it's for sale doesn't mean it's safe. Otherwise, people wouldn't be sick. You have to think the same thing about what you breathe. Where are you? What are you exposed to? You are not designed to be surrounded by an ingesting through your lungs and respiratory tract, the amount of toxic insult that we now are exposed to. You know, our homes with the drywall, they're not, we don't have uh, stone castles anymore. We have drywall that gets wet and goes moldy. And you may not check for this and you may not be aware, but there's simple kits you can put through the house that cost a few dollars, literally, that will detect mold spores in the air, that will warn you that there's a major toxic insult that's causing you an inflammatory load that could lead to something that could be misdiagnosed as Lyme disease, for example, because it's causing such a problem nobody can figure out why. So this is where it's really important to understand what are you breathing in, not only at home, but at work, 
where do you work? What are you exposed to? What is it, when you're deciding whether to take job A or job B, do you consider where you're going? What, what is it that you have to breathe? And, you know, what, what do you need to, if, if you're working with chemicals in a, in a factory, if you're working with, say, glues, epoxies, are you on construction sites? Guess what? When we were doing a renovation in our office, my partner, business partner, who had an extra copy of the detox gene that I was missing, just like you could be missing it, you could also have extra copies of it. It's a copy number variation, meaning you're varying how many copies you have. He has an extra copy. So when they put the epoxy on the wall, we built a lab. So picture a white laboratory where there's actually white laminate on the walls to keep it clean. So there's an epoxy required, a very toxic glue to put that up on the wall. I walk in the room and within minutes I have a migraine. I started breaking out on my skin and I had brain fog, like I just couldn't be there. He worked out of there for a week with no problem. The exact same environmental exposure wreaking havoc because I didn't know how the genetic capacity to get rid of it. If it's not in your system causing a problem, there's no problem. For him, that was the case. He gets rid of it. It's gone. For me, that wasn't the case. It stays there and sits there and wreaks havoc on the cells. So you have to understand what you're breathing in, where you are, what you expose yourself to should be a constant consideration because this is a silent killer. You don't think about the chemicals and the gases and the fumes and the brand new carpet that was laid and the new paint that was put up. Should I be in that room for the next week or so? When you buy a new mattress or a new piece of furniture and you open up the plastic that it was wrapped in and it starts to off gas for the first time because it's been enclosed in this in this plastic wrap that gas that you're breathing in that new car smell that new rubber on your new tire why does it smell for the first week because you're you cannot smell until you actually have particles of whatever that thing is you're smelling enter your nose that's how smell works your it's smell actually is translated into a smell it's actually a feeling that that particle of whatever it is touches the sensors in, inside your nose and communicates to your brain what that smell is. Which means that if you're smelling that chemical, it's entered your nose and into your breath and through your lungs into your bloodstream. Hopefully you're armed with the ability to clear and get rid of it, but most of us aren't. So you have to be very careful about what you're breathing in. The third is the gut. That's the third area where things enter your body. And you have to be truly cognizant and understanding of what you're eating that is not purported to be what it really is. Meaning, you know, we talked earlier about some people that eat stuff like hummus and you think, wow, it's a healthy food. It's chickpeas, lean, some protein, some carbs, has a little bit of everything. But guess what? They have to dry those chickpeas. There's chemicals that are used in order to ship them from wherever they come from, from Asia, uh, from different, you know, we're not, I'm in Toronto here. We're not growing chickpeas in March in, the, in spring break where I can see the snow outside the window. So where are they coming from and how do they get them here? That requires chemicals. That requires treatment. And that goes far beyond chickpeas. You know, when you're buying meat, there's a literal product that is referred to as pink slime. Pink slime, which you probably eat regularly, you're not even aware of. What is it? Well, <laughs> in order to refer to something as beef, Legally, it only has to be 85% beef. There's a chemicals that are used, like ammonia, for example, to treat all the meat byproducts, all the waste, you know, all the intestinal tissue, the lips, the stuff that we don't eat, to turn it into what's called pink slime, a literal 
you know, fudge of broken meat components that is treated with ammonia to get rid of the smell and, you know, to purify it and get rid of all the bacterial infections that are in there. It's literally bleached with ammonia. And that is then put into your meat. This is why when you look at a very cheap hot dog, right? Uh, not a sausage, not proper meat. It literally looks like pink fudge that's been solidified because that's what it is. It's not ground beef that went through a grinder that was put together. It's literally pink slime that was processed industrially. And you wonder why some of us eat a hot dog and can actually get a headache because of the amount of ammonia you're ingesting, the toxins you're ingesting. It's not meat. Well, there's, sorry, the, I should say foundationally, it starts from an animal, animal product, but it's not like taking a snake and putting it through the grinder. This is leftover parts that nobody wants to eat that's ground into a sludge, literally a pink sludge, that is then treated with various chemicals to make it form the way it does, to make it resilient the way it is, to make it last. And, you know, some people can even eat their hot dogs raw because they're just so treated with so many preservatives. So then you got to think about where is that found? Literally, if you buy lower end ground beef, it's in there. You're, you're, they're allowed to add it, the, the food processors. If you're not buying clean, pure meat, assume that it's in there up to the range of 15%. And this is found in lots of areas where you would think that what I'm eating seems pure and healthy. Well, I, I posted a couple of weeks ago about an experience where I drank a drink because it had no sugar. I'm trying to avoid drinking sugar because that's where it adds up a lot. And so it had stevia, which I find to be fine, and natural flavors to create a blackberry flavor, which I like. Actually, it was a black cherry flavor. I drank it three days in a row and three days in a row I got a headache. Now, keep in mind that I'm more sensitive than the average person because I'm missing a couple of key instructions, including at the gut. So I'm more likely to have these chemicals weave into the framework of my blood and then enter the system and cause inflammation, which would lead to a headache. But imagine what that's doing to you. These natural flavors are not... What does that mean? It means that it was not... A synthetic. It was derived from a natural source, meaning it came from a plant or an animal. That's what it means. But in order to get it into your food, in order to process it so that it can actually be sort of dissolved, you know, uh, homogenized with whatever you're eating, it needs to be processed with chemicals, sometimes up to 100 chemicals for one flavor. That processing a beginning to end, extract it from here and turn it into this thing and get it into your drink or your food or your chips or your whatever, up to a hundred chemicals can be used. So that natural flavor, the root source of it, yeah, it was natural. Everything else about it is very unnatural. What it took to actually deliver it to you for you to consume it, extremely unnatural, extremely toxic, which led to me getting headaches. Then you have to consider this as you're eating. What does real food look like? People talk about whole foods. What does that mean? As nature created it. Before processing. If it's in a box, if it's in a can, if it's being preserved, it doesn't matter if it says organic, gluten-free, vegan, whatever you're looking for. In order to get it in that box, to sit on a shelf, it needed to be processed. That means heavy metals. That means chemicals. Chemicals that, by the way, do not need to be disclosed. When you read your can that says natural flavors, does it list the hundred chemicals that it took to make that natural flavor? No, it does not. 
because there's no requirement to do so. So again, when you're reading that box of processed food, even though it's organic this and whole grain whatever, to get it into that product that you're now consuming, it required chemicals to process, which there's zero obligation to disclose to you. All that's required is the post-processing product. It's a natural flavor, it's a grain, it's a fruit, it's a whatever. But what it took to get it into the state which is then delivered in, no requirement to tell you, so assume that it's there. The more back to the original core foundational food you can have whole foods, the better off you're going to be. And it's challenging, time consuming, it can be expensive, you know, it can be also not deriving the same pleasure that you want. You have to change your palate. I, I have kids, I've been through this and I can tell you that, yeah, it's challenging in the first couple of weeks, but it doesn't take much more than that. And palates can adjust quickly, especially when you're young. And guess what? When you get off of this stuff and go back to what's not proper, you can't eat it anymore. The sharpness of the sweet from the sugar, the saltiness in the chips, the feeling in your body from the overload of toxicity, you get used to not having that anymore. And so there's this process of habit change where you slowly kind of take three steps forward, one step back, three steps forward, one step back. But after eventual year of that, you're 200 steps forward and you've changed your identity in terms of how you deal with your food. So don't expect to just go gold turkey, but go make those steps, change something, purge the pantry. Uh, just take your fruit and start there. Take your cereal and start there. Get a real, uh, you know, granola or a real um, oat and just make it yourself and start with one thing and then slowly adopt, slowly adopt. The mindset will change and you'll feel better about it. So very, so the three areas, you know, gut is an easy place to start because you're going to eat anyway. Then, you know, another thing that people get, keep asking about is how do chemicals lead to disease? And some are obvious, you know, like for example, the cancer from the hand sanitizers we talked about, well, a chemical is causing a major inflammatory insult to your cells, which will lead to disruption of cellular health, eventual cancer from the inflammation. Some things are not as intuitive and a lot more complex. So we know that an overindulgence in chemicals and a lifestyle that is exposed to a lot of chemicals can actually lead to diabetes, which if you understand diabetes makes no sense because you would think, well, diabetes is an insulin issue. It's a sugar issue. If you're constantly not managing your sugar intake properly, and we can determine genetically who actually does a worse job of that, and we can determine genetically whose insulin response is poor, well, then you're more likely to be led towards type 2 diabetes. You now have close to 90 million Americans uh, that are pre-diabetic. They're at the borderline and something just got to push them over the edge. You have about 40 million Americans that are diabetic. So it's not a small problem. You know, it's 30% of the nation is either pre or diabetic. So what's going on there with the chemicals and why do we find that with the introduction of chemicals into our lifestyle that those numbers have gone up? Certainly rooted in food also. There's, it's very obvious and clear that our food supply is riddled in sugar and insulin response inducing things, but chemicals also trigger it. Why? Because that innate need to deal with the chemicals around you is a huge load on the liver. The liver is where you clear these chemicals and this is why We've actually diagnosed people, we've sent them to the doctor, sorry, I should say we've sent people to the doctor 
and told them to get testing for non-fatty liver, non-alcohol fatty liver syndrome, uh, which their doctors sometimes refuse, but if they pushed, they later got it done, and they found that, wow, they do have it. They have this fat deposit on their liver as if they were alcoholics, but they didn't drink. Well, at least seldom, not like alcoholics. Why? Because their toxic load and their genetic ability to deal with their toxic load did not match. And so the liver was overburdened, and then the fat starts to build up as if you're drinking alcohol and causing it that level of damage. Chemicals do the same thing. Chemicals cause your liver to be overworked. They also cause your pancreas to be overworked. When these two organs are overworked, your insulin response starts to fall. Your insulin response becomes more dysregulated. Even if you're doing the best genetically, you start to all of a sudden not do so well. So the load of chemicals on your system can take you from healthy operations internally to not so healthy operations. And then other things will start to go wrong, like your insulin response. All of a sudden, you can become diabetic without overloading the sugars because your insulin is dysregulated from the chemical activity if you had enough and if genetically you have that perfect storm that would get you there fast. Some people don't. Some people can tolerate a little bit more and be more resilient. Combine that with your average American diet and you're going to get there pretty quick. So it's important to understand that things are not as direct as they seem because our bodies are much more complicated than we think they are. Cardiovascular disease, the direct result of chemical exposure. And you would think, why? You know, what's the load on the heart? Well, it has nothing to do with the heart. The heart typically, in most cardiovascular diseases, people are actually doing well at the cardiovascular level, meaning the actual heart. It's the arteries around the heart where disease settles in. In the arteries, the inner lining of the artery, we call the endothelial. And your vasculature throughout your body, your veins, your arteries throughout your body, the inner lining is called the endothelial everywhere. And that's where the blood actually flows through and touches, right? That inner cellular structure. Genetically, we have different quality versions of this hardware, this hardware that makes up our vascular system. Some people have a paper-thin, highly prone to inflammation version. So now, if you have that, well, the things that cause inflammation are just going to wreak a lot more havoc on you. As an example, the same chemicals we talked about. I can tell you that we have a patient for whom we identified the reason for his cholesterolemia, his elevated cholesterol problem, was because he played too much golf. So what's going on there? Well, if you understand that in order to golf in Canada, where we have a long winter and the golf course needs to be reset and ready to go pretty quick, you got to use a lot of chemicals. In fact, the regulations around chemical use in Canada is a lot less than it is in some other countries, including some parts of the US, because we just need it in order for those golf courses to function. So it was lobbied for and it was awarded. So all of a sudden you go into this beautiful landscape, which seems pristine, serene, wholesome, but is laced in chemicals in order to make it look the way it looks unnaturally quickly from the winter we just exited. If you are of the genotype that does not clear those chemicals while you're spending four or five hours walking through this toxic environment, breathing in all these chemicals, and then you can't get rid of them. So then what happens is they end up free flowing in your blood system, 
causing problems, infl inflammation on all the cellular structure where some people in that first thing we talked about have the not so good version of the endothelial lining, which means that here is where they're weak cellularly. And that's where the blood that's carrying all these toxins is flowing through and constantly bringing them to here. So all of a sudden you, we've identified where are you weak? What cellular structure is prone to inflammation? We also know what causes the inflammation. We can also look at the epigenetics, the environment, nutrition, lifestyle habits, and what the person is doing to bring in that inflammatory insult, like playing golf in Canada. Then you wonder, okay, what leads to the disease? It's inflamed. But why do I have a heart disease? Why did that guy get cholesterolemia? Well, your body's response to inflammation throughout your body, but particularly here, is to actually use cholesterol as a hormone to reduce the inflammation. That's literally what your body will do in response to the abrasions, damage that's happening here in this lining. Then, when this cholesterol meets toxicity, it actually hardens and gets deposited and it sits there. So you have this buildup that starts from this perfect storm. Some people also don't transport lipids well. The process of LDL and HDL, like taking the cholesterol there and bringing it back. Some of you have heard of this and your LDL and HDL gets measured at the conventional doctor visit to understand your relationship with cholesterol. If you're also not doing well there, the APOE gene, which is studied for Alzheimer's, dementia, stroke, because it determines your ability to transport lipids. That's another layer to the perfect storm, where all of a sudden you also don't move it so well, so as it's getting deposited and hardened, it just sits there, and you also don't do a good job of bringing it back. So all of a sudden, you start to get the numbers, cholesterol numbers, that validate a disease. You have cholesterolemia, you need to start taking a pill. So the innate foundational lack of ability to deal with chemical exposures mixed with the wrong epigenetic uh, sort of exposure, which is the golf course in this case, led to this disease. It was the, it was the sort of foundational source. So all of a sudden you can start to pick things apart and go back to what I was talking about with the sort of three you know, the skin, the gut, the breath. And you can start to understand how inflammation rooted in toxic exposure will start to lead to disease because of what it does. This, these chemicals that were not meant to be in your body wreak havoc. What disease just depends where you weren't doing well cellularly. So what cellular structure, whether it's here, whether it's the vasculature of the brain, whether it's your breast tissue, you know, then you compound and you think that, okay, so why is it that we tell women that chemical exposures disrupts their hormones? That the root cause of infertility numbers going through the roof, fibromyalgia numbers, you know, bad menopause going through the roof. Menopause is not meant to be rocky. It should be a smooth experience. Why is it that all these female hormone issues that are treated as gray area and it's like, you're supposed to have hormone problems, it's your hormones. It's taken for granted that it's a meant to be when it's a shouldn't be. It shouldn't happen. So why? Because not only are you foundationally having an issue, and this can be determined genetically, with estrogen toxicity, an, an estrogen uh, byproduct, this toxin, which is also inflammatory, but your body is to some degree designed to deal with that. 
because it's already known. Your body already knows from your mother, your grandmother, your great-grandmother that this happens. And let's clear these things. Let's get rid of them. But if you combine that with the new reality you're in that great-grandmother wasn't in, of this elevated toxic exposure, your Teflon-coated frying pan, you know, toxins in the water that you're not even aware of, you know, chemicals as you're unboxing gifts and you're getting grocery receipts and there's inks on the, on the, the, the laser printer that printed the receipt, or you're using certain cosmetics on your skin or sunscreens, etc. All these toxic insults that are part of your daily routine that you were 6 out of 10 because of your estrogen toxicity, but this pushed you to a 9 out of 10, which gets you from the kind of uncomfortable state to the disease state. It takes you from not doing so well, where, you know, it might lead to some wrinkly skin or bad PMS or some kind of inflammatory you know, response to like, I have heart disease. This is why women fare so much poorer with heart disease than men. This is why 66% of women are expected to die on their first cardiovascular event with zero previous symptoms and zero previous warning signs. There's nothing warning you that it's coming. And the degree to which it hits women is so much harder than men because of the combination of the hormone toxicity and getting them past that threshold so quickly that they're much more likely to die in that first event. This is why women struggle with Alzheimer's and dementia so much more than men. The compound effect that men don't have to worry about for the most part. There are some men that are more estrogen dominant that also have estrogen toxicity, but even then it's not to the degree of a woman. So when you start to look at these layers and put them together, you understand that even though you may be doing well somewhere, meaning that your, your genes point to a problem, but you don't have the problem. You weren't born with breast cancer. You weren't born with Alzheimer's. What got you there? The combination of this problem plus this problem is now, you know, even though it may not be one plus one equals two, it may take you to one and a half. But that one and a half is that point where you got to too much. That's the point where it goes from wellness to health to disease and you have to start now worry about treating this disease so i would urge women out there to research hormone disruptors endocrine disruptors as they're called they literally mimic hormones as they enter your body rooted in chemicals um, and they start to exaggerate that those estrogen toxicity problems because if you're mimicking hormones and your, your body is fueling this estrogen pot more than you naturally do, and your genetic path is to convert that estrogen into an estrogen toxic byproduct, well, more estrogen just means more estrogen byproduct, that toxic byproduct. 85% of North American women will be on a birth control pill for some extended period. That means more estrogen toxicity because you feel that estrogen fire. Birth control pill equals estrogen equals for some women estrogen toxicity, which leads to disease. Why is it on the side of the birth control bill box that it says that elevated risk of stroke? Doesn't tell you why, doesn't tell you for whom, but they found in studies that if you look at overall population of women that are on birth control pill, there seems to be higher numbers ticking towards stroke because genetically you might already be there and it required that extra extra toxic insult to get you over the edge, over the threshold. 
and the estrogen that's in that birth control pill and your innate capacity of converting it all to estrogen toxicity, which you're now fueling with more estrogen to create more estrogen toxicity to cause more inflammation, combine that with your predisposition towards stroke, you're going to get it. So it's a combination of all these things that you have to look at and understand why chemicals, the prolific nature of them today, there's a direct correlate to the increased use of, usage of chemicals, the poor understanding of food, and the increase in chronic disease uh, at even a younger age now than ever before. You look at children, why it used to be that 1 in 10,000 children was autistic, then it was one in a few hundred. And in this generation, we're looking at one in 60. Children didn't change from the two generations ago that it was one in 10,000. What happened? Why did it go to one in 60? They're genetically the same kids. It's the load. Remember, the epigenetics, the environment, the nutrition, the lifestyle, the things that they're exposed to every day changed. They didn't change. And so now all of a sudden you've gone from a kid that is on the borderline genetically of the ability to deal with methylation, to deal with detox, to deal with antioxidation. But three generations ago didn't have the trigger. They were designed for the way they lived. They were designed for that level of toxic insult that didn't push them over the edge. Fast forward two more generations, they are no longer designed for the reality of how they live. And that's why you go from one in 10,000 to one in 60. And you start to ask, why is it some parents say that, well, I should start with, why is it some manufacturing and pharma companies say that there's nothing about a child vaccine that causes autism? Why is it that the parents say, that's the day my kids changed? They were a different child before they got those three or four vaccines. So what happened there? Well, the pharma company's right that they've tested the active molecules and the drugs and they don't cause autism. But the parent is also right that I have a different child now. And only thing that happened is this. Well, there's heavy medical, heavy metals and chemicals and other things that are being delivered alongside that active molecule that's supposed to do whatever it does in terms of vaccinations that some kids can't handle. They don't have the genetic ability to clear those heavy metals from the bloodstream and send them to the liver to get rid of. They then also don't have the development neurologically to cope with the, the insult caused, the inflammation caused by that heavy metal dose that was in that injection. And when you take three, four, five at the same time, the load that is caused to this underdeveloped neurological system that leads to that level of inflammation that equals something that's equivalent of brain damage, and you wonder why so many kids are now autistic versus what they were two generations ago. The kids didn't change. Their exposure changed. Environment, nutrition, lifestyle, what they're eating, what they're doing with their life in terms of sleep, video games, all this stuff, and what their environmental and toxic exposures are. This is what has changed, not the children. So now imagine the only reason you're faring a little better is because you're more developed than that child. The thing that is so toxic that it can lead them to be labeled as autistic when they're actually brain damaged, literally, there's neurological inflammation that has happened, which has led to damage. What is that chemical doing to you as an adult? 
you may be able to cope with it better, but you're constantly struggling. There's some people for whom, like my business partner, doesn't really phase him, but that's few and far between. The majority of us, why is it that 50% of North Americans are expected to have a cardiovascular episode? Which is, as we know now, rooted in endothelial health. Well, because the most of us don't deal with chemicals so well. We aren't designed for it. I, we talked about in an earlier episode that our genetics are 250,000 year old. The DNA of who we are as humans today is something that we can trace back to a quarter million years ago. So if for a quarter million years we, we were who we were, designed for the environment that that genetic profile was designed for, and it's really only the last hundred years or so that the world has been heavily industrialized and there's been an introduction of these chemicals in every facet of everything that you do. Are you really designed for the life that we live? And is it really a surprise that 90% of the American healthcare budget is spent on chronic disease, which you weren't born with and didn't have to have, that was completely optional? So if you start to chip away at this and you understand why something like chemicals and cellular health, which we kind of look at as like, yeah, I might get to that one day, is the foundation of health, is where you need to start. You know, there's things that you can do easy, like sleep properly, eat better, etc. Even then you can get sick. You can eat well and still get diabetes because the toxic load on your organal systems that they weren't designed to deal with and mimicking as if you were an alcoholic, it can cause your level, your liver to get to that level. Well, that's going to lead to an insulin response. That's going to lead to diabetes type 2. So understanding that everything around you, what you eat, what you breathe, what you paint your house with, the cleaning chemicals that you buy, that you stock, that your children are breathing in, the same countertop that you spray things on that food is prepared on, you have to start thinking about all these exposures and what they're doing to your innate cellular health. And then you have to think about if you're not doing the right things, What's going on with your cells? Are they inflamed? They likely are. Because the American dream now is that by the age of 50, you have a chronic disease. It's an expectation. It's not a maybe. It's a guarantee. By the age of 60, you have two. And you spend the last 15 years of your life in treatment. That's an expectation today. That's taken for granted that it's supposed to happen. So the question is why? The question we don't ask. And the purpose of today was to give you part of that answer. It's not the whole answer, but it's a very important piece because it's a piece we don't think about and piece that we don't do anything about. And I urge you today, take a step back, audit everything about what you and your family are doing, get rid of the chemicals, replace them with things that are natural in your food, in what you breathe, in what you put on your skin, and start to see how much better you feel.